Hi, you're listening to AR Zone, interviews and commentary from a total liberation viewpoint. I'm your host, Caroline Bailey. You can find us online at www.arzone.net. In today's interview, we're very pleased to welcome our special guests, Trev Whedon and Christy Alger. Trev has been an active member in the animal movement since becoming vegan in 2016, co-organiser for the March to Close All Slaughterhouses since 2017, and co-organiser for both the World Day for the End of Speciesism March in 2017 and the Dominion March in 2018. He also helped organise Be Fair, Be Vegan events in 2018. Triv has also been a volunteer and employee of Animal Liberation Victoria. He's recently helped form the new Collectively Free Melbourne chapter, an activist community working for animal liberation, human liberation and earth liberation. Christy is an animal liberation activist living in Tasmania. She's a co-founder of Tasmanian Animal Save and was elected current president of Animal Liberation Tasmania in October 2018. Both organisations are active within the Tasmanian and interstate animal advocacy communities. Her approach to animal activism is informed by a strong commitment to feminism and the ideals of consistent anti-oppression. Ultimately, Christy is focused on dismantling systems that actively oppress all beings, human and other than human, while seeking out alternatives for a future that is inclusive and supportive for all. Trevor and Christy are joining us today to speak about the Melbourne March to Close All Slaughterhouses, which they're helping to organise. Trevor and Christy, welcome to AR Zone. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having us. You're so welcome. As I mentioned in your intro, you're both working hard to organise the Melbourne March to Close All Slaughterhouses, which is on April 6th this year. This event has been happening for a few years now. Would you please explain for our listeners the goal of the event, how and why it started, and why it's something that you felt drawn to organise in Melbourne this year? The goal of the event has changed over the years, and it's something that we're trying to critically reevaluate every time to make sure that we're not rehashing the same thing or staying stagnant and not being you know aware of where the movement needs to go so to try and be brief I guess to answer that you have to think about where it started which was in Paris 2012 the first event in France it was called Stop Abattoirs and that was I guess picked up gradually internationally the following years and it just started to gain momentum internationally It came to Melbourne in 2013, sort of unofficially, um, Sydney 2014. Melbourne didn't happen again after 2013 until 2016. And then I came on board for the 2017 one. The early versions of the events were very typical, angry, chanting people saying that they want to close slaughterhouses and that they want the death of animals to stop and a lot of the the typical graphic imagery and a lot of the the slogans that that get associated with typical angry vegans so i think what we wanted to do first off when the current organizing team is myself Corey Thompson and Robin Payne and we wanted to try and reframe the event to be a more positive event and to also not only focus on just one aspect of animal exploitation. So the first thing they did is rebrand it to include the Vegan Easy campaign, 
And so a lot of our branding and messaging and shirts and things will have veganeasy.org and a lot of the signs will have veganeasy.org to encompass more than just slaughterhouses and all animal exploitation. And then I guess to, to answer your question, for this year's event, we've really taken a turn to try and look away from just turning individual people or from inspiring individual people to go vegan. We've thought, what what else can we do and what maybe is it the right time to do in terms of helping this movement progress? And so we've we've gone for a more industry, government, political angle. Uh, we're looking at transitioning. So we're trying to ask our guest speakers and our activists and other fellow vegans and the general public in attendance to imagine what a world without slaughterhouses would look like and to think about the steps needed to get there other than just individual people changing their consumer choices. So that extends, of course, to rezoning of farmlands, changing communities. So there are communities that have had decades and generations long um, ties to the animal exploitation industries. And so giving them a solid plan to, to change and to evolve into, into a more ethical, sustainable future that doesn't involve animal exploitation, and whether that's renewable energy, whether that's crop farming, whether that's, you know, any number of different options on the table. But to try and yeah, focus, I guess, on on what we can do to to push the next chapter of of the movement's you know future going towards a vegan world. Thanks, Trev. Christy, would you like to add anything to that? Is there a particular list of speakers that you have, for example, for this year's event? Oh, there are some amazing speakers coming up. It's a really different crowd of speakers. You know moving away from the celebrity activist, celebrity vegan focus that we have had in the past at a lot of the different marches, moving towards people with different perspectives, whether it's industry perspective or the perspective of psychologists or academic perspective, you know, really starting to diversify the voices that we're seeing that can actually contribute something perhaps more constructive beyond the, the very typical emotive uh, sort of speeches that we've had in the past at these sorts of events, which is really exciting because it's one thing to inspire emotion, uh, emotion in people, but it's another thing to actually provide structure and concept of change to people. And that's what I'm really excited for with MTCAS in Melbourne this year is it's really looking at solutions-oriented activism rather than, you know, um, making people angry or upset or that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's um, very much a different speaker platform this year. I share your excitement. That sounds fantastic. And moving away from the so-called celebrity vegans is great news. Congratulations. I really applaud that. Closing all slaughterhouses certainly sounds like a wonderful idea, and it's one that's obviously well overdue. I'd like to ask you both why the focus just on slaughterhouses and not the other ways that humans use other animals. Why not a march to end animal exploitation, for example, or even better, a march to end all oppression? Other animals will still be born to be killed and exploited for economic gain. Fishes are not killed in slaughterhouses, for example, and others who are exploited in zoos, circuses, etc., aren't really covered either. I'm sure there's good reasoning behind that, 
Would you please elaborate on the precise framing and the reasoning behind the focus just on slaughterhouses? Do you think that it might even be a missed opportunity to educate the general community on the issue, the broader issue of anti-oppression or even just animal exploitation? It's very much true that you know, on the surface it does look like it's just focusing on this single area of animal exploitation. I think there's a, a number of reasons. So one is that slaughterhouses are symbolic. Of the, they're sort of the end point for so many systems of exploitation. So horse racing, for example, most people wouldn't associate with a slaughterhouse, but we know so many horses end up in slaughterhouses, you know, some before a career has even been begun. You know, fish trying to reframe the notion of a slaughterhouse, I think, is important for fishers. So when people look at the fishing boats in, in the Hobart docks, for example, they're very much perceived as this idyllic, picturesque sort of, always oh, this nice in the centre of Hobart. They are floating slaughterhouses. And, you know, greyhounds going into vets, you know, where they're euthanised, technically, as an animal exploitation industry, you're looking at a veterinary clinic as a slaughterhouse too. So maybe changing up the, the notion of what a slaughterhouse actually is but i think as a symbol of animal exploitation slaughterhouses are so much more accessible to the broader public people don't like slaughterhouses even if they consume you know the products that are coming out of them you know we're kept well away from them they're fenced off they're hidden from view and so when you bring them into the public view people can't ignore that that symbol and it really forces them to confront maybe what they're doing as a consumer um, it also challenges a lot of the political systems that protect slaughterhouses in our communities uh, you know all this legislation and you know, ex effectively exclusion zones in many um, places that hide them from the, the public view they're protected by uh, police they're uh, protected by legislation so really using that symbolism of the slaughterhouse it makes people think but you've got to do it carefully you've got to do it in a way that makes people understand that this is not the be all end all and like you said discussing notions of anti-oppression as a much more broad uh, concept becomes so important in this conversation so talking about how workers in slaughterhouses are exploited individuals especially marginalized communities talking about the psychological damage and the physical harm working in slaughterhouses does to these people looking at the environmental impacts of slaughterhouses on communities which are more um, often than not marginalized communities as well so making sure that our conversation is framed by the idea of anti-oppression, that a slaughterhouse is symbolic, yes, of the exploitation of non-human animals, but also of humans too, and of environment. I, I really appreciate your answer, Christy. I think I like. I really like that you said that it's symbolic. The, sl the slaughterhouse and even the framing of it, the way it is, is symbolic of animal exploitation exploitation but also of anti-oppression and I love the fact that you speak about the humans who are exploited when it comes to slaughterhouses as well and I think you've both already mentioned that what you're doing in Melbourne and 
has been happening in Melbourne now for a number of years is that you're moving away from, as Trev said earlier, you're moving away from kind of the, the chanting and the graphic imagery that has previously been associated with this march and particularly with the speakers that you mentioned, you're moving the march in a different direction, which I think is great news. Trev, did you want to add anything to that? I think what Christy said was fantastic and uh, really, really shows one of the, the the great ways that you can use, as you said, symbolically to try and achieve a lot more than just what a name of an event looks like on paper or what the first things that people might come to mind when they when they hear of a term or the name of an event. We've definitely been trying to change the trajectory of the event year on year and to reevaluate where we need to sit amongst all of the advocacy and activism that's happening in the movement and what's necessary, I guess, for the next step to try and help bring people in the right direction that's going to help bring the community together and also bring about change for everyone, not just ending animal exploitation, but all oppressions. So a lot of the decisions that have been made to make the event more accessible, to have a, a much stronger uh, representation of women's and femmes and non-binary people, to really think about all of the different ways that we have a role to play within the vegan or animal rights movement into achieving a better world. We are putting these different measures into the events that we work on to try and make them make them as, as fit as much as possible uh, what's required for the time. So for this event this year, that's meant that we're having a big focus on that transition theme of what will a world without slaughterhouses look like as the ideal goal. And of course, a world without slaughterhouses is going to be a lot closer, if not already there, towards a world that respects animals properly and with the due respect and, and rights that they deserve. So I guess it's to, to try and get people thinking about it in a different way, um, moving away from the negative imagery, the graphic imagery. Uh, we've, we've, we've got a rule of the last couple of years, but definitely this year we're being very strict on it with no graphic images. We're trying to make the event family friendly as, as much as possible with a public event, of course, because there are some things out of our control. Also the, the, the narrative and the, the framing of a lot of the, the speakers and a lot of the, the content is going to be in a much more positive manner that's to try and show where we can, what we can achieve when we're moving in the right direction. I really appreciate that, Trev. Thank you so much. Just as an indicator of um, how things are changing when it comes to how people approach MTCAS. So the first MTCAS I attended was in Hobart in 2016. And it was before I became involved with ALT and with TAS. And I wore, <laughs> I, I cringe to think of it now, I, I wore a black balaclava with a skull on it, big black hoodie, and I was carrying a sign saying, it's not food, it's violence, and it was you know, red back with black words outlined in white, and it scared people. It really scared people. And yep. seeing you know, previous marches that have come through places 
and you know people are standing on on the street watching it go through like feeling quite intimidated they don't feel like they want to cross that line and join us they see somebody wearing a, a balaclava with a skull on it and holding a graphic sign and they just don't want anything to do with it so being able to be a part of MTCAS in Melbourne this year, seeing it is such a positive event, inclusive event, where we actually want people to cross the divide and join us and feel welcomed and feel like it is accessible because there aren't people there trying to terrify them, I think is just such a, a, an invaluable contribution to the animal rights scene. I couldn't agree more, absolutely. So, hi, folks. This is Roger here. Actually, I think I mis- misjudged this uh, this interview. So, uh, hang on a minute. I'm, j- I'm just taking my balaclava off. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. For a balaclava. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's better. Now, uh, Christy, you mentioned uh, academics. Now, be careful of academics. You know, they can be a pain in the bum. But um, in relation to academics, we talked to a couple of um, experts on research recently and it's really interesting because what you both said really is that you're approaching this uh, event in a very sophisticated way and I'm really kind of pleased to to hear it and I just thought that this kind of like research coming through is really supportive of what you're doing Uh, for example some cell psychology would say that it's all to do with foot in the door and baby steps and everything whereas there's a lot of um, research coming through now which suggests that actually if you ask for a big goal rather than a small goal you actually get more and not less, you know, it's a re- reverse of that kind of idea. So the fact that you're, as it were, making claims about exploitation in general, bringing in human exploitation, et cetera, et cetera, that's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a good thing. And that is now being supported by research. So, so well done. I wanted to uh, just uh, thank you for doing that. Awesome. Thank you. When you put on the table a big demand like this is the 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 goal that you're working for and it's massive incremental change will happen towards that goal so all the things about baby steps and and smaller changes they will just happen naturally that end goal it needs to be something significant so that people do move towards it Um, otherwise people just they get sidetracked by oh okay yeah well this week i'm not eating eggs and that's my baby step or or this week that slaughterhouse stopped operating so we don't need to worry about that in my community anymore you know, you've got to put that big goal on the on the table otherwise what have people got to move towards that's exactly what the current research is showing it's great to have that research there as something to guide us even though i think it well personally i think it was kind of obvious before anyway but to have that solid research there i think it's enormously helpful and it'd be great to actually have some more academic influence just so we can encourage analytical thought because it's something that is just so missing in the movement is analytical thought so people can look at that research and apply it as opposed to do the reactionary well this celebrity said i didn't need to worry about that so i don't have to now oh come on now Christy. <laughs> the, ne- the next thing you're going to say that people ought to start reading things and stuff <laughs> reading you don't need to read we have facebook <laughs> people, exactly. people might have to read a full page of text what's the matter with you Never. <laughs> actually, actually, Roger, you might be onto something there. I think uh, next year's March, we might try getting people to have to read some text. There's just no end to your radicalism. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Earlier in the interview, you guys mentioned accessibility. It seems like a really obvious question to ask why this matters so much, but given that so many other events don't, would you please explain why this is so important? So accessibility matters, I think, that first and foremost, because it's the right thing to do. Yes, there are strategic reasons to make events accessible, but it's just the right thing to do. Everybody should feel welcome at an event. The physically and, and mentally, people should feel like they can attend things, be welcomed and be able to manoeuvre about the place, be able to you know, receive the speeches that are being made because it's just the right thing to do. And it's something I'm seeing at a lot of events, actually. I was at the Vegan Festival in Adelaide last year and they had Deaf Can Do um, providing uh, Auslan interpretation for the speeches on the main stage so that everybody oh, nice. could come and they could have a feed, sit down on the grass and, you know, um, access the speeches. Um, so at MTCAS in Melbourne this year, there's a range of things that the organising team have put in place which are really exciting. First of all, having interpreters for the speeches. There will also be spaces at the front of the march and, and in the speeches that are designated for people who have mobility requirements, people who might have hearing or, or vision requirements, people who might not want to just be in the midst of hundreds of people and have like a bit more space to themselves for their own mental health. Uh, so they can be there, be involved, but don't have to feel overwhelmed by the event itself. There'll also be specific marshals in place who will be assisting people who need a bit more help navigate their way through the march. And also if they just need help to get out, there's somebody there that they can actually access. And the, the march route itself has been designed so that it is more accessible for people uh, with different mobility requirements, including there's a place where if people don't want to do the full loop, they can actually stop and rest and the actual march will come back around and pick them up and head back down uh, to the original uh, meeting spot. This is a very a different march in that rather than us all bunching together and just it's a free-for-all where you have to fend for yourself, it's more considered, it's going to be more accessible and I'm very excited for that. Yeah, that sounds wonderful and you put so much thought into it. Congratulations. It's really, really encouraging to hear everything that you're doing. Speaking about the location, have you chosen this location for a particular reason? I believe it's being held at the Queen Victoria Market. Is there any significance to that location? Yeah, the event this year is going to be starting at Flagstaff Gardens and we're going to be marching around the Queen Vic Market. And there was a couple of reasons for this. Typically, most of the events that have been done in the animal rights community have been in the middle of the CBD and the goal is to be noticed by as many people as possible to potentially stop traffic in the most obvious places and the most well-frequented places in the CBD. This year, especially tying in with the theme of the event, because we are moving away from the calls for individual people to go vegan and we are looking to try and ask the industry and the government and and different you know players in our in our world to look at transitioning from animal exploitation to 
a vegan friendly world. It seemed to fit a lot more to put the location near industry that is actually perpetuating this ongoing exploitation. So Queen Vic Market has been obviously a site very close to the city where not just animal exploitation, unfortunately, it's the site of, a, of an old cemetery in Melbourne, I think the first cemetery in Melbourne, and unfortunately is also the site of many unmarked graves, including First Nations people, um, ex-convicts and people who were of such lower class at the time in the 1800s that didn't have enough money to have a proper burial. From memory, I think there's between six and 9,000 bodies that are still under the site of the Queen Vic Market that haven't been exhumed or moved to the Carlton Cemetery where the richer family members were moved to when they had graves that were still legible and marked. It's, it's long been a site of, of significance around death, around exploitation um, across a number of issues. And I guess it's a, unfortunately a little bit coincidental that it's now still the site of ongoing animal exploitation and the selling and trading of animal carcasses and their remains. So being there is, is a chance for us to, to address the industry in general rather than individuals. There's still the individual component, but to try and get people to think about industry change rather than just individual change. Wow, that's really interesting. I didn't know that, but um, that's really interesting. And again, everything that you're saying about this event, you've put so much thought into. I really, I just, I just really appreciate it. You both obviously place a great deal of importance on being inclusive and being supportive of other social justice movements. Is there anything that you've been able to do to reach out to other movements and struggles in order to include them and welcome them to this event? It's, it's going to be a challenge for a long time to come because the animal rights communities and the vegan communities, I think, I think across the world, I mean, I, I haven't travelled enough and, and, and chatted to enough people to, to make that call on my own accurately, but the feeling I get is that animal rights and vegan circles are, are fairly new in terms of sitting alongside other social justice issues, and because of that, there is a lot more work still to be done in our circles to try and get to maybe the same level and awareness that some of these other circles are in. Even though some of these other areas around human rights or environmental issues, they might not be there yet with their thoughts on animal exploitation and animal rights, but it tends to go both ways. There's also a large component of the animal rights and vegan community that aren't there yet with their awareness and understanding of other issues that affect the environment or other humans. So at the moment, I think we're trying to play our part as best we can to try and help with awareness and education within our movement. That looks like being more accessible, giving women and femmes and non-binary people a platform, trying to recognise the different levels of privilege that do influence people in our movement and that we have to actively be addressing and trying to dismantle all forms of hierarchy, not just gender. There's unfortunately not a lot of people who are First Nations in the vegan or animal rights communities in, in lots of places in Australia. They, they do exist. Uh, it's not that they don't exist. I do try and uh, listen to them as much as possible. We still try and, I guess, Keep in mind that we're not going to be 
properly representative, at least for a long time yet, because we do have a lot of work to, I think we've got a lot of damage to undo as a movement and as a, as a whole yeah, social justice movement before we can really be expecting people from other minorities and other other groups to to feel welcome and to and to want to join. So I think it's going to be a slow ongoing process, but we're we're definitely aware that that's what needs to happen, and that we should be trying our best to move in that direction. And I guess one thing that inca- sort of encapsulates all of that is um, what came out last year from a number of people in the animal rights community worldwide was the Vegan Bill of Consistent Anti-Oppression. This is the first event since that bill has been created and Melbourne March to Close All Slaughterhouses has signed that bill, as well as all of the three individual organisers. We've asked for all of the speakers um, that are guest speakers to also sign and agree to that bill. We've also asked for any media spokespeople that we'll have for the event and some key volunteers and marshals such as our musicians and our accessibility marshals and people that are looking at helping people who attend if they need access to safer spaces or help with um, mobility or hearing or, or visual issues they've all been asked to read the bill and to accept and to enthusiastically try and help achieve the the goals of that bill and to take that on board with their ongoing advocacy and activism that's a really good step in the right direction in our eyes um, and we want to try and do our part in helping to promote that as a way forward in the animal rights community. It, it's interesting, there's a couple of things to say about that because there's obviously an issue that, as you say, the animal groups and the vegan groups are kind of isolated from other social justice movements at the moment, but it, it wasn't always that way. If, if I think back to the 1980s and 90s, you know, it was much more integrated in those days so it's not some it's not a question that it's something that's never happened it's is a kind of thing that we, we've lost it in a way i think ah. um, yeah i think steve best puts his um finger on it uh, in the um, total liberation speech that he did in uh, 2013 in luxembourg it's on youtube and he's basically saying that well you know other justice movements look at us and they see racism fascism and sexism and we look at them and we see speciesism and both of those critiques are true. And mm. so there's kind of like some bridge building to be done. But from our point of view, we must eliminate the racism, sexism and, and fascism and ableism from our thing. O- otherwise, we'll never get a hearing in those other spaces. We've just got to do it. And it sounds exactly. like you, you're, yeah, you, you're already starting that. So well done. Well, thank you. Yeah, I wasn't. I mean, it's it is tricky, I guess. Maybe I'm showing my my age and my youth. I, I wasn't really aware if, if we've. It, it's a real shame to to hear that we did start out being a lot more integrated and cohesive in the social justice movement, and we've been diverging from that. And it, it also, I guess, is a shame to then conclude that it means that the other way around has happened as well. That these human rights focused or environmental focus groups were mm. a lot closer to animal rights in the past and now they've drifted away as well yeah That's i think it's, it's it's sometimes um sometimes articulated as the, as the idea of we are each other i mean the example i always give and i'm talking about britain now really in the 80s and 90s the example i give is that we would like go hunt sabbing and disrupting a hunt on a, on a saturday and maybe a demonstration or even a raid on a sunday 
But then in the week, we'd be allies or participants in Reclaim the Night marches. And also then we'd be going to a Rock Against Racism gig. So mm. much, you know, it was all integrated in those days. Or in David Knight's terms, the issue of oppression and liberation were entangled. And it was just kind of naturally so for us. We didn't have other animals only, you know, animals first type attitudes in those days. At least a, a lot of us didn't. You know, we, we were kind of almost naturally critical thinkers across the board. And I think that needs to return. Yeah. I don't want to try and claim to be an expert on this at all, but I get the feeling that a lot of social justice movements would have started with people who were quite radical and quite progressive, and they would have been open to all of these issues. And I'll see a need for for another addition to, I guess, that sort of tool belt of, of um, issues to be aware of. And somewhere along the lines, once they get a critical mass of support, the new people coming in aren't going to be as radical or progressive initially as they were with the initial group. So that means that there's a job to do of educating and bringing up the awareness of people who do join these groups. Yeah, you're right. And it's a job we're not doing very, very well. In fact, uh, what you just said there is supported by social movement theory. And there is this uh, concept in social movement theory called goal displacement. And exactly the process that you're talking about occurs. A movement takes off, a lot of new people join, but they don't necessarily have the same core values of the people who started it. And they then try to change the movement from mm. its, ori- its original thing. And it's definitely happened with, with, within veganism. You know, it's something that I talk about a lot at the moment. I think it's not just in animal rights either. Like, I think when you look at the histories of, of other social justice issues, you see that there's been you know, issues of trans-exclusionary feminism or even white feminism and other you know, issues where there's, there's, there's other social justice movements that have, once they've reached a larger point, they've had these blind spots or these gaps that have been created because of that lack of awareness or education or I guess the influx of people that aren't as progressive or as radical and that didn't share those initial theories. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, of course, we talk about different generations. You know, you, you mentioned feminism. We, I think we're talking about the fourth generation of feminists now. So that's to try to kind of articulate the transformation of ideas, I suppose, over time. Yes. Can I just clarify something that you said earlier, Roger? Um, I know, I totally understand that you're... Go on, then. <laughs> I, I totally understand that your experience was, as you described, that back in the 80s, and 90s there may have been a more inclusive vegan or animal rights movement but that's not my experience I wasn't around in the 80s so I can't talk from my my own experiences about the 80s but people who I've spoken with would say that that's that's not their experience that racism ableism misogyny sexism have always been around in the animal movement so I just wanted, I don't want to discredit your own experiences at all, but I just wanted to make it clear that there is another side to that that's certainly debatable as a general thing. Yeah, I, I accept that point. I think the internet's got something to do with that, Colin, in the sense that everyone's got a voice now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, we, we used to complain about the, the fact that, you know, you could be silenced in a movement in the days before the internet, but that also meant you could silence the very problematic voices. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, do t- I do take that on board. My own experience is, as I said, it is very kind of inclusive, and I, I used to love that, you know. Yeah, ab- absolutely. 
it might have something to do with the context of where the groups were as well, because I know Australia doesn't have a very good long track record of being aware of, of lots of racism and sexism. So not that UK is necessarily much better, but I think Europe in general has been a lot better, at least in our recent histories. So that, that might give some extra context as to why there's differences in the animal rights movements in those places. Absolutely. I'd agree with that completely. Christy and Trev, do either of you have anything that you would like our listeners to know about the march before we say goodbye to you? I guess we've we've covered a lot of what we want the general public to, to know about the march, but I guess the main message to send out there is that this is not a march of us against the world. This is a march of solidarity with non-human animals, but also with marginalised communities. This is a, a march progressing towards a better future for everyone. We want you to, to cross that divide and, and come with us and, and we want to see how we can help you. This is a, a march for the future. It's, it's not simply us making a stand, being angry and being divisive. I love that, Christy. Trev, did you want to say anything? I don't think we've had a chance to, to say so yet um, in detail, but the other guest speakers that we've arranged for the march, we have Yamini Narayanan, who is a PhD lecturer at Deakin, um, and she's involved with the Deakin Critical Animals Studies Network. Um, she helps run a series of ongoing public talks that, that occur at Deakin in Docklands in Melbourne. Um, and she's also spoken at some other animal rights events in in the past, also including the Institute of Critical Animal Studies conference of a couple of years ago. I remember seeing her speak there and she was fantastic. Also, Tam Tamazan from the Animal Justice Party, she is going to be speaking. We have Christy with us as well, who, of course, is going to be speaking at the event. Dinesh Matthew, he's also going to be speaking at the event. He's had a a big history in the movement, not just in different areas of political change, but also in food activism. Um, and so doing a lot of work with Animal Liberation Victoria and some other groups about cooking demonstrations and, and helping to people have the practical ability to, to make changes in their lives. And we've also got Harley McDonald Eskisal. She will be the MC for the event. And she has been one of the founders uh, for the last few years of a new organisation in Melbourne called Young Voices for Animals, which has been doing some really good work. And last year they had their first animal rights youth conference. I think it, I'm trying to think. Sorry, it was the Youth Animal Rights Conference last year, which was the first one. Um, I was lucky enough to attend as a volunteer for that event as well. And that was a fantastic event. And they're doing some amazing things to to help get the next generation of people that are going to be our advocates to be aware and inclusive and to to be working for that end goal. We actually spoke with Harley last year about the, <coughs> her plans and the, the new group and um, she's fantastic. All the speakers yeah, she's amazing. Got, yeah, all, and she's so young. All those speakers who you just <laughs> mentioned sound absolutely wonderful. Again, congratulations on putting together something that's so important and is hopefully going to change lots of minds and help educate so many people. Thank you both so much for spending your time with us today. Really appreciate it. And thank you so much, so sincerely for everything that you're both doing. I think you're doing amazing work. You're changing so many people. So thank you so much. 
No worries. Thank, Thank you. you. And can Thank I just you. add there, that I'd just really like to acknowledge the work that Trev Corey and Robin have put into this. I might be speaking there, but they're the three who have just worked themselves so hard to come up with these new concepts and ideas and reframe the dialogue. So massive, massive respect to those three for what they're doing. Absolutely. I think they agree. November of the animal kingdom Nurses past maturity November of the animal kingdom Ever did a thing to me Why don't eat red meat or white Oh,